And if you take your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're in the creeds of Christmas. And uh, as we study these different doctrines, these different teachings, the creeds of Christmas, many of these things are things you already know and you know well. But the question is, are you applying them to your life? It's one thing to unwrap a gift, a present, but it's another thing if we're going to use it. And that's what I'm really after in this series uh, this Christmas season. From Chuck Swindoll's devotional, The Seasons of Life, I highly recommend that. It's a great devotional. He says this, take the year 1809 and the international scene was tumultuous. Napoleon was sweeping across Austria. Blood was flowing freely. Nobody then cared about babies being born, but the world was overlooking some terribly significant births. For example, in 1809, William Gladstone was born. He was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. That same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife. The child will one day greatly affect the literary world in a big way. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And not far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, albeit tragic, life. It was also in that same year that a physician named Darwin and his wife named their child Charles Robert, and that same year produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, his name, Abraham Lincoln. If there had been broadcasts of news at that time, I'm certain these words would have been heard. The destiny of the world is being shaped on an Austrian battlefield today. But history was actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America. Chuck Swindoll says, similarly, everyone thought taxation was the big news when Jesus was born. But a young Jewish woman cradled the biggest news of all, the birth of the Savior. As we think about that story, we know that Jesus, even today in this season, is being overlooked and even ignored by many. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1 in your Bible, verse 18. As we continue to read excerpts from the Christmas story through this season, Matthew 1:18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he, was, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful Christmas season. We thank you for the amazing music that leads us to this point in service to bring us to the word of God. And now, Lord, we pray you'll open our hearts, open our minds, help us to worship you through your word, but also to listen and be receptive to what you have to teach each and every one of us individually today, to challenge us, to convict us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, whatever it may be. Let your word not return void. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So our purpose in this message today is that every Christ follower must unwrap and use the gifts that come with salvation to the honor and glory of God. We only have time to look at a few. According to a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, there's 32 things that occur when we are born again, when we receive Christ as our Savior. And obviously we don't have time to unwrap all of those gifts, but we're going to look at a few today. A few of them that are found in the Christmas story. First, we have to look at the condition of humanity that Jesus came into in order to save his people. First the Jew, and then later opening up the gospel to the Gentiles. So first thing on your outline, Jesus reveals people's need for a Savior. Jesus reveals people's need for a Savior. In Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48 in the King James Version, it says, Then there arose a reasoning among them, the disciples, which of them should be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. In verse 47, when we went through that verse, it said that Jesus perceived the thoughts of their heart. Jesus knows the need, the condition of humanity and where man is. He sees our pride. He sees our selfishness, our arrogance when we compare ourselves to other people. He knows our evil thoughts. He knows our lustful thoughts. God and Jesus know our penchant towards sin. We're like metal that's drawn to a magnet in this area of sin. We want to be independent. We want to be in control. We want to call our own shots. And yet God and Jesus are compassionate and want to find a way to solve the sin problem so we can have an ongoing relationship with a holy God. That, my friend, is the miracle of Christmas. God is just, and he cannot ignore sin. We established that last week. In Exodus 18.4, it says there that the soul that sinneth shall die. We are not talking about the physical death, but those who are not redeemed of their sin by trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross will spend eternity separated from God in hell with Satan and his fallen angels and his cohorts. So we need to take a moment and discuss the total depravity of mankind. We have to see the terminal result of sin in our life before we can discuss the cure. So next point we see is the scorn of sin. The scorn of sin. The standard that we have to come up to as human beings to have a relationship with God, simply put, is perfection. Perfection. God is the moral lawgiver of the universe, and he lays out for us through the Ten Commandments in the Pentateuch and the New Testament what the expectations are. Paul, who may have been the greatest Christian besides the Lord Jesus Christ, said this about his righteousness in Philippians 3. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, he was Jewish, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, 
For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And in that chapter later on in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul describes his righteousness and good works in comparison to God's standard as human waste. His goal is to strive to not sin after becoming a believer in Christ and becoming more and more like Jesus. Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Not to get too descriptive here, but what that literally means is menstrual cloths. Our righteousness is as used menstrual cloths. David said that even in the womb, he had a sinful nature. In Psalm 51, verse 5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David is not saying that his conception was sinful or that he was conceived illegitimately. What David is saying that at no time in his life was he without the effects of sin on his life. Remember that we're not born sinners because we sin. Or I'm sorry, remember that we are not sinners because we sin. We were not born neutral or with a blank slate that if we choose, we could live a righteous life in our own power and will. At some point, if we chose to sin, then that makes us a sinner. That is incorrect. The message of Christ is that he came at Christmas to become the second Adam because of the consequences of sin of the first Adam were passed down to all human beings by his seed. We are sinners at birth, and so we sin because that's the natural part of our nature to do that. This is a very important distinction. If someone could live his or her life and have the chance of living a life of perfection, of keeping the law, there would be two ways to salvation, and Jesus would have only died for those who sinned. Remember that verse from last week in 1 John 2, 2, that Christ is the propitiation, the one who satisfied the wrath of God by his death, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In Romans 3, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So in the original language there, it's very precise, very accurate there that no one escapes the fact that they're born with a sinful nature. This is the very, very bad news about who we are at the core and why we act out and sin as we do. R.C. Sproul, who used to be part of Ligonier Ministries, now in heaven, he said, we've all heard the axiom that nobody's perfect. We might improve upon that a little by saying that not only is no one perfect, but no one's even close to perfection. He goes on to talk about what total depravity means. So the idea of total depravity doesn't mean that every human being is as wicked as they possibly could be. Rather, it means that the fall is so serious that it affects the entire person, the whole person. Our fallenness captures and grips our human nature and affects our bodies. That's that's why we become ill and die. It affects our minds and our thinking. We still have the capacity to think But the Bible speaks about the way in which the mind has become darkened and weakened in Romans 1.21. The will of man is no longer in its pristine state of moral power. And according to the New Testament, the will is now in bondage. 
we're enslaved to the evil impulses and desires of our hearts. So the effects of the fall come down at birth to every human being. It does not mean that we can't do good things in our society and for our neighbors. We see a lot of uh, rich people and even common people that do all kinds of great things to help their fellow man. The problem is because our will and decision-making are tainted by sin, we don't do the things we do for the glory and honor of God without the quickening of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's the short answer. Much more depth could be shared on this topic, but now that I've made all of us feel bad and of little value in God's eyes, now we turn to the good news of what the Savior came to do about this situation. Second of all, in this point, the sympathy of the Savior. The sympathy of the Savior. And I'm going to let Linus from Charlie Brown Christmas read the next section of Scripture. What is Christmas all about, Charlie Brown? Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Linus reading from Luke chapter 2. Who knows what Christmas is all about? I guess Dale wants to play it again. We good? So, from Luke chapter 2, verse 11, he said that unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. Not only was he the Messiah, but he was the deliverer, the redeemer from our sin. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I love Luke 15. It gives us three parables. And one of those parables is found in verse 3 through 7. It says, So Jesus told them this parable, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Do you personalize this story? Can you see it in your mind's eye, that when you crossed that line of faith, when you left the kingdom of darkness and moved into the kingdom of light, that at that moment in heaven that God unfurled a banner with your name on it, and the angels in heaven rejoiced because 
a lost sinner was found and you're now part of his family, his forever family. Don't ever forget that. That when you came to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoiced. There was a day in your life and mine, if you are born again, that that occurred. The point of this whole point is that we have to see our sickness of sin, the weakness of our human condition, in order to accept the answer we need, trusting in Christ and what he did on the cross, and give us the power of the resurrection to overcome the sin in our lives. God gives us, if we come to Christ, a gift of repentance. The Puritans used to pray for what they called the gift of tears, the tears of sorrow over sin before a holy God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it gives us the difference between worldly sorrow and finding out that we've done things wrong and what we do when we come and seek godly repentance. In 2 Corinthians, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. If we have worldly sorrow, it's because we got caught. And we say, oh, maybe we won't do that again, or maybe I'll find a better way to do it so I won't get caught again. But if we have godly sorrow, we own the sin. We accept it. We confess it. We say we're responsible before a holy God. Please forgive me of my sin. That's the gift of repentance. We must use God's word to define our spiritual condition and make adjustments. The Bible has, should have full say and define our lives. Jesus, Jesus came at Christmas to ultimately save anyone who would believe, but we have to surrender our will, our desires, and our passions to obey and follow him. I'm reading a devotional for this Advent season called Come, Let Us Adore Him by Paul David Tripp. And a couple days ago, he opened the devotion with this. Jesus left his lofty place to rescue glory thieves who insert themselves into his place and make it all about them. Isn't that a good summation of our sinful condition in the world around us? Here's the application. We need to hold up the mirror of God's word to reveal the truth about how we are living. Hold up the mirror. Let the word of God define us and find our uh, real truth and what the word says, not what people think, not what the news media thinks or other things, but the truth of God's word. The first point is simple but profound truth that we need to be reminded of continually. Let's look more at the benefits of Jesus wanting to save his people from their sins. Jesus saves people from their sin. God came near. He looked beyond the faults of people to their needs. When I was a young person, Andre Crouch had a great song that he wrote and sang. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. And isn't that amazing? He doesn't just judge us for our sin, but he looks to the core and he sees the need, and then he decides what he can do about it, and he provides the resources and the means to do that. In John chapter 3, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus said in John 12, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Speaking of being on the cross, his crucifixion. Aren't you so thankful that God doesn't condemn us or doesn't condemn anyone until they die and are not willing to admit their sin and their need of a Savior? God came near Christmas to give us the hope of eternal life and abundant life here on this earth right now at this moment. And God sees the potential in each and every one of us. That's the great thing about God. I grew up in in Pittsburgh, and uh, of course, that's the home of Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister. And through his children's programming, he always tried to remind kids of their worth and their value, their potential. You know, when when Jesus walked, he did the same thing. He said to Simon, he said, Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, Jesus being the big rock. And Simon, your new name is Peter, the little rock, that you will be a leader in the Jerusalem church. He saw potential in Simon Peter. Think about Jacob. They changed his name to Israel. Abram changed his name to Abraham to be a father of many nations. What potential does God see in you? He looks beyond your sin And he sees who he wants you to be. Then by his grace, he empowers you and gives you resources to live out who you are created to be and do the things that he wants you to do. Another point here is that God came near to extend his grace beyond the deepest sin. We talked about the depth of depravity. We talked about how far we were away from God separated from him with sin, whether that was one sin or many sins. But now we look at the amazing grace of God and the extent that he will go to to save anyone. There's no sin, no depth of sin that no one can perform that God will not save if that person is willing to accept the terms God has for salvation. Jeffrey Dahmer, he killed 17 men, dismembered them, put body parts in his freezer, and became a cannibal before he was arrested. And it is said that while he was in prison, that he came to faith in Jesus Christ, seeking forgiveness of his sin. I don't know his heart. I don't know his condition. Only God knows if he truly was born again. But if he repented of his sins, the amazing grace of God can save him. There are people that are mad about the possibility that that type of thing can occur. But that is the great grace of God and the depth and the riches of God's grace. Take your Bible and look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, these verses aren't on the screen, so turn over to Ephesians 2. I want you to see the contrast, the contrast and the amazing grace that God gives to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul said, and once... And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan who is in control for the most part in this world around us with the Holy Spirit pushing back and the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
That's the bad news. But then verse 3, or verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 is key. So that in the coming ages... God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Think about it, what it's going to be like. And even now, we can see the grace of God working in our life. But what that's going to look like when we get to heaven one day. Billy Graham, he was driving in a southern town at one time, and he was pulled over for speeding. He was going 10 miles over the speed limit. And a police officer asked him, if he was guilty, and he said, yep, guilty is charged. And he said, well, I can't just write you a ticket. You also have to go before the judge. And so he went to the judge, and he stood before the judge, and the judge asked him, guilty or not guilty? And when Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, that'll be $10, $1 for each mile per hour over the speed limit. But suddenly the judge recognized who this guy was. He recognized it was Billy Graham. He said, you violated the law. The fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. He took a $10 bill from his own wallet, attached it to the ticket, and then took Billy Graham out and bought him a steak dinner. That, said Billy Graham, is how God treats repentant sinners, the grace of God. So here's an application. Are you content with God coming near to you this Christmas season? Is it well with your soul between you and God? <clears throat> are there things that are separating you from him? Sin that you're holding on to? Pride? Selfishness? Conflicts that are unresolved? People that you haven't forgiven? Are you content with God coming near this Christmas season? Our last point under the presence that Jesus brings us this Christmas is this. Jesus forgives people of their sin. Jesus forgives people of their sin. The authority of Jesus to forgive sin. Remember, only God can forgive sin. And this is what uh, stirred up the Pharisees and the religious leaders. In Mark chapter 2, one of my very favorite stories in the New Testament, you know the story. Four men brought their friend, a paralytic, on a stretcher. And they came to the house and they couldn't get in. There were so many people and Jesus was inside preaching. And they weren't going to be deterred from getting their friend to Jesus to get healed. And so they climbed up on the roof and they tore the thatched roof off and lowered Jesus down or lowered the paralytic down in front of Jesus. And there we pick up the story in Mark 2, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
Jesus was charged as a blasphemer because as the religious leaders believed, and it's true that only God can forgive someone else's sin, and Jesus showed that authority before them. What are some of the blessings of being forgiven by God? We're right with God when we confess our sins. It's as if God wipes the slate clean and we continue on in our relationship with God. You know, what if God had a list of your sins up in heaven? And what if when we come and we confess our sins of pride, of addictions, of idols, bitterness, power, anger, whatever it may be, and we confess it and God takes the blood of Christ and he wipes that slate completely clean, white. And the problem is that we have a hard time believing that God does that, that he does that when we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness. We have the ability and capacity as a result of being forgiven to forgive others. In Ephesians 4.32, this is a passage that always brings conviction to my heart. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You've heard it said that hurt people hurt people. But I say forgiven people can forgive others. We can walk in confidence on our spiritual journey because we are forgiven and have the hope of heaven. We can have peace in relationships even tumultuous relationships where there's plenty of conflict. If we do our part and we're good between our creator and ourselves, that we've done all we can do to resolve the conflict. We have the assurance of eternal life. We walk in the purpose and the plan that God created us to do and to be the person that God wants us to be. The promise that God will forgive every sin, every sin, Isaiah 118, the prophet said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Sometimes as humans, we become extremely introspective, looking inward our soul and asking, how could God forgive us of fill in the blank, this sin or these sins? Just be reminded in Psalm 103, the psalm writer said that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. As far as I know, if you get on an airplane and you go east and you keep going east, you'll never run into the west and vice versa. It tells us in Micah 7, 19, that he's put our sins down into the deepest sea. All. When God says he forgives all our sins, God doesn't remove some he doesn't take, though your sins are, are scarlet, I will make them pink. He says, no, I will make them as white as snow, pure as fresh snow you are in God's sight when you confess your sin. We can go to the water fountain. We can buy bottled water. And we don't think a whole lot about drinking that water. But drop one little drop of poison in it. How many people would want to drink that water? It's not pure anymore. God's saying, I make you pure, make you as white as snow. Now we have to accept that, and we have to act as if it's so. The devil's the one who wants to continually bring up our sin, but Jesus is our defense attorney who stands before God on our behalf and says, because of my blood, I have taken away all their sins. And because of that, we are justified in his sight. 
The key is living in confidence of what we know, that God cleanses us and forgives us of all our sin and our unrighteousness. Sometimes after a period of walking away from the Lord, getting involved in sin, it's hard for us to accept his forgiveness. But accept it and walk in it, in the confidence of it, we must. We must walk in that confidence. I find a lot of people who are forgiven, and if because they've been forgiven a lot, they love the Lord a lot as well. Former Senator Mark Hatfield recounts the following history story. James Garfield was a lay preacher and a principal at his denominational college. They say he was ambidextrous, that he could write Greek with one hand while he was writing Latin with the other at the same time. In 1880, he was elected president of the United States, but after six months in office, he was shot in the back with a revolver. He never lost consciousness. At the hospital, the doctor probed the wound with his little finger trying to find the bullet. Then he took a silver tip probe and still he couldn't locate the bullet. They took Garfield back to Washington, D.C., and despite the summer heat, they tried to keep him comfortable. He was growing weaker and weaker. Teams of doctors tried to locate the bullet, probing the wound over and over again. In desperation, they asked Alexander Graham Bell, who was working on a little device called the telephone, to see if he could locate the metal inside the president's body. He came, he probed, he did all he could, but he failed. The president hung on through July, through August, but sometime in mid-September, he succumbed and passed away. Not because of the bullet, but because of all the infection that occurred because of the probing around the wound to try to find the bullet. So it is with people who dwell too long on their sin and refuse to surrender it to God. Here's the application. The baby in the manger becomes God's perfect payment for my sin. We can let it go. We can give it to him and count on his promises that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, wipe the slate clean, and we will be before him as fresh white snow. As we unwrap the gift of Jesus being our Savior, may we apply the benefits of our salvation to help us to endure and persevere through the good and through the difficult days. Here's the key thought. Jesus saw the potential in us and he looked past our sin, and he met our need. That's the beauty, one aspect of it, of the Christmas story. He saw our fault, but he looked to our need, and then he supplied the answer and the resources to bring us into a relationship with God. Here's some questions to ponder this week as we close. Does the Bible define your life? Is it the mirror, like it says in James 1, is it the mirror that we look into the perfect law of liberty. And then we look at and we do something about it, not just to be hearers, but doers of the word. When it's revealed, the truth has been revealed to us. Second of all, are you allowing God to come near to your heart this Christmas season? Maybe there's something that's separated you from God. Remember, an idol is anything that we put more time and effort and money or whatever into than we do with God. Is there anything that's an idol in your life? Is there unconfessed sin that you're holding on to? Is there a conflict that needs to be resolved? And is there an area of sin that you feel isn't forgiven that you have to let go and trust God? Let's bow together in prayer. 
And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here and you have times in your life when you doubt that God really forgives you of your sin. And you're a believer in Christ. And you struggle with that. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Lord, I want to let, I want to let these sins go. I want to trust in the promises of your word that you wipe the slate clean and I can have a clear conscience with you. If you're in that situation with every head bowed, every eye closed, I encourage you, just slip your hand up so I can pray for you. From time to time, we come across something in our life that we think maybe God can't forgive us. And we need to just surrender it and confess it and let it go. Anyone at all that I can pray for this morning in that situation. And I encourage you, if you have anything between you and God, God desires more than anything else in this time of year to draw near. And that's the message of Emmanuel, God with us. Deal with those things in our life. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in the Old Testament it covered sin, but in the New Testament it removes the sin altogether. And we're grateful for that. We're thankful for that final sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, of saying, it is finished. The debt is paid in full to tell us die. And we're so grateful that we can appropriate that by faith. We're so grateful for the gift of grace, especially at this time of year. And Lord, help us to continue to unwrap these gifts that you've given us, spiritually speaking, in our life, to apply them, to learn more about them, and then, Lord, to share it with others and to help those who are looking for hope and looking for answers and looking for the removal of guilt in their life. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.